Welcome to Clickbait and Switch, a marketing podcast that tries to cut through the bullshit and hook you with what you need to know, what you don't, and what stories should be getting a little more love than they're getting. I'm Mark. That's Gisela. Hello. On today's show, YouTube is moving into Spotify's territory. TikTok wants you to learn something. Instagram really wants reels to work. And home shopping from your TV gets even easier. Let's start with YouTube Music now has Spotify-like personal daily mixes. Gisela! That is correct. So actually, YouTube is launching an activity bar that will feature common activities on YouTube Music. So things that can accompany your daily life, like Spotify, you know, like you can have the daily mix. So now YouTube Music will also suggest up to seven mixes based on your personal taste. It is different and distinct. And there's also a super mix that blends all of the mixes together into one long playlist. So you have like a discover mix and new releases, et cetera, et cetera. So basically it's turning into Spotify. Okay. And do you use YouTube Music? I do. Do not. I know a lot of people do. Okay. Are you still on Spotify? I'm just full on Spotify. How about you? Yeah, same thing. I just, I just don't like. I get that it's YouTube. It's a it's a Google product. This new YouTube Music, but I don't know how. For those who are in Spotify sort of ecosystem, I don't know if you'd switch over. No, I feel it's targeting YouTube users and getting them to stay there rather than switch over to something like Spotify. Yeah, and they're also adding a little list like by themes, so you'll have like a playlist around activities, so workout, focus, relax. There's one around commute, which strikes me as a little bit tone deaf today. <laughs> Some people still commute though. Some people still commute. And maybe those are YouTube's listeners, and they know that through their through their data. Google should know, I would imagine. Which is interesting because Spotify's already moved in the podcast space. And YouTube is now moving into Spotify space. Yeah. And it's always cool when you see a platform kind of embrace what the users are using it for. YouTube is meant to be video inherently, originally, but then users just embraced it as a music platform. Which is kind of the opposite of what we're going to talk about later with Instagram and Reels. Yes, <laughs> yes, very much so. All right, let's move on to TikTok and its Learn tab. So TikTok, which I guess Trump completely forgot about his whole ban on it. So it's not going to be banned in the US after all. Everyone sort of just gave up on that one. So what's going on with TikTok's Learn Lab? Well, earlier this summer, when all the platforms were coming up with like little resources to help uh, healthcare workers, small businesses, teachers, et cetera, et cetera, TikTok launched something called Learn on TikTok and it launched via hashtag, which is the way that you know, content gets found and goes viral on TikTok. So it was hashtag learn on TikTok. And this hashtag filled with all sorts of user generated content. You had like people learning pig Latin, makeup tips, pottery, like anything, basically. And then TikTok began to also feed it with more kind of premium content that it produced in partnership with content creators, publishers, not-for-profits. Well, now it seems that some users in the UK have seen next to like that for you or following section on your TikTok feed, a little new button called learn. Interesting. It's a bit ephemeral so far because it's in beta. So users have seen it appear and kind of disappear overnight. But it does come when you click it, there's a CTA that calls you to explore a feed of fun and informative, I'm doing air quotes here, fun and informative videos across science, art, cooking, and more. Start learning now. So yeah, I mean, TikTok has been making efforts toward building kind of a reputation for educational content since the launch of this hashtag, which was back in June. They also invested 13 million euros, which is roughly 15 million USD. I don't know what that is in Canadian. 
I don't know either. <laughs> uh, but a lot of millions. <laughs> and they invested it across Europe to help launch this Learn on TikTok hashtag with like a boost. And they partnered with more reputable organizations, for example, the University of Cambridge. So they are trying to delve into this education um, industry, to call it something. Yeah, it's interesting because you start seeing those how-to videos. They sort of spread it up. But then you were also seeing content from people like Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Hank Green that are sort of getting tagged with this you know, learn on TikTok, but also kind of have that Wikipedia thing as well. Some of them had the search this on Wikipedia, so then you can learn it there. This is interesting seeing all these things come up, this sort of learn on TikTok in such a climate of disinformation on all these other platforms. So when you see them investing in reputable sources, such as the University of Cambridge, it's kind of an interesting pivot from all of the sort of dancing videos and things of that nature, the goofy memes to sort of treat it as a more informational space. Yeah, that's it. I'm just side warning if there are any kids listening to this episode, <laughs> just to say that it's always important to verify your sources. Um, TikTok does not replace your school at all. But it is cool for teachers to find a space within this environment because they can connect more meaningfully and more directly with their students. And also interesting, I, I was reading this New York Times article about um, schools in the US now having TikTok clubs. So the same way you would have science club, math club, but TikTok club. Okay. So they're saying it's kind of like a drama club, but for the digital age. And it can be super cool. Of course, it comes with a whole other suite of warning and disclaimers that we're not going to touch upon because we're not qualified to discuss those. But it's kind of a cool thing that they're saying that brings kids together um, from all different groups and ages to like do dances, choreographies, etc. So it's just interesting how, how all these different platforms are trying to nudge and, and steal certain segments of other platforms bread and butter. So TikTok's now leaning into YouTube, which is kind of interesting, taking some of their more educational content. YouTube's trying to sneak into Spotify's territory. And everyone's just trying to like carve off these other different pieces of their other platforms while not necessarily staying true to their north, as you would say. Totally true. And in fact, it's funny because TikTok is moving towards learn, but then you see Instagram moving more towards shop. So you kind of see where this uh, where these two platforms are starting to drift apart very much. So even though Instagram is trying to steal TikTok's feature, which brings us to the bait. Instagram is redesigning its interface so we could all see reels and shop buttons in the center position of the main navigation bar. So Instagram is going to try and force feed us reels because they just wanted to carve out some territory from TikTok because they were losing a lot of ground there. But why? Why do we care? That's the big question. And there's already a lot of backlash from Instagram creators and influencers. Shock. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I feel like this is a repeat from IGTV that Instagram really tried to like shove it down our throats and make it work. Yeah, they kept trying to make IGTV happen. Facebook kept trying to make their stories happen. And it's not what people people get into these platforms for a certain reason. And I understand that you want to keep everyone's attention so you can force feed the marketing and all that sort of stuff and add revenue. I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, you're not doing what people want to do on your platform. Exactly. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. That's what it is. I'm glad you said it this time and not me. <laughs> All right, let's move away from Reels. I can't stand Reels. All right, so into the switch today. So we're going to talk about shippable TV experiences, particularly NBC Universal's partnership 
with PayPal. Do you want to break this one down? I'm going to try it. This is a cool one, in my opinion. So uh, it seems NBC Universal has been developing a new kind of interactive technology that gives the audience a chance to scan a code on the screen with your smartphone and then drives directly to a checkout page. This is a step further from what we've seen so far because you were telling me, Mark, offline that you saw something like this during a show. It was during the NBA Finals. Um, and certainly the playoffs, these QR codes would come up on the TV screen. I would then just out of curiosity, get my phone out and try and get it to work on my phone. And half the time it wouldn't before the, the QR code disappeared. So they're just going to double down on this type of technology. So I think they've taken it a little bit more deeply. They partner with PayPal to... Uh, make sure they're they're offering a more checkout friendly experience and they're driving directly to the checkout page as opposed to driving you to a page where you can sign up to maybe get a coupon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a more direct experience. They really want to allow customers to buy from, they say, over 60 retailers. So their idea is that they're pairing on-air shopping, branded editorial, um, and editorial TV segments with editorial articles and random videos online. So it's a full ecosystem that connects TV and digital and digital TV. I feel like the home shopping network would have done this 10 years ago. Right? It feels like, why haven't we done this before? Yeah. Like instead of calling someone to get things in three payments, just scan your phone. It's connected to your PayPal account. Boom. I can get these cubic zirconia rings, you know, in a matter of seconds. I guess that would mean they'd have to fill time a different way on that channel might be a problem because they don't have a lot of content to deal with but it, it feels like that's where this should have been rather than i'm watching something on amazon and then you know it pops up and i can buy the latest you know david chang momofuku chili paste or some shit <laughs> yeah i mean i keep getting flashbacks to the truman show where you would see like the mother stop everything look at the camera and talk about i don't know the cake powder that she was going to use but I guess this is a more sophisticated version of that. It's a fine line that I hope we don't cross. Well, yeah, it's like product placement has been a part of all of these TV shows and movies for so long. This is just making it completely blatant. Yeah, and it's such a way to get more data out of consumers, right? Because traditionally TV data is way leaner than digital data. So it's a little bit of a dangerous territory because we are now in an era where we have too many numbers and too much data to analyze and it's hard to cut through that. So TV is really going towards that same um, kind of environment. And you feel like this is a natural glove fit for stuff like, you know, the Goop series on, on Netflix or the Mary Kondo show or the Home Edit show where you can have these things that are based upon products or services that can then promote their products and services seamlessly through that episode. Mm -hmm. The interesting part um, that I read also was that a marketing executive at NBCU saying that they want to turn whatever content they can in a quote unquote shippable experience, not shoppable, shippable, which I found an interesting new term to keep an eye out in the TV environment. Yeah. And this goes back to something that uh, an upcoming episode of Mojo Moments, our sister podcast, Thane talked to Charles de Brabant, the executive director of Ben Sinun School of Retail Management at McGill. And he was basically saying, you know, through the pandemic and even before everyone was complaining about, you know, the death of retail, but 
he said, if you actually look at the numbers and you start crunching them, retail is almost as strong as ever. It's just taking these different forms. And as retail continues to evolve, whether it's through you know your e-commerce platform or your uh, shopping experience, your in-store shopping experience, it's growing. It's, it's obviously changed the way we shop. And this is just another part of that evolution if it does continue and does expand into all these other services. Mm-hmm. I think that's a wrap. All right. Once again, thank you to CloudEgger for providing support for our podcast. We should state that obviously all of what we said is our own nonsense, Mark and Gisela. And uh, that's all I got to say. Anything else, Giselle? Yes. And take two seconds to let the podcast algorithm gods know that you're listening. Um, give us a rating. That's all. Awesome. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye.